This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses that you can get delivered to your door for a fraction of the price you'd pay in stores. To learn more now, visit casper.com slash supertrain. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Pretty good. It's pretty good. It's been a while since we've talked. Yeah. Yeah. We usually record on Mondays like uh, clockwork. It's like clockwork, although it wasn't always, was it? Mm, We recorded on Tuesdays, I think, at one point. Yeah. We're pretty clockworky. Are you aware we are on episode 197 of this show? You're kidding me. Mm-hmm. That's like thirteen. That's like thirteen thousand hours. What does that mean? Does that mean when we get to two hundred, what's going to happen? I, guess, I don't know. Flip the odometer. I don't know. I feel like at, at two hundred, <clears throat> one of us should die. Some kind oh. of in some kind of fiery car wreck, and then then it's just whatever. It's just complete. You know, like it's just a it's a box. You're saying maybe you and me we do a Thelma and Louise. Yeah, wouldn't people love that? You're a pretty good driver. Uh-huh. Yeah. We just drive, slowly drive the RV off a cliff. Almost there. Two hundred on 197 episodes. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's really something. That's yeah. That's the best news I've had all day. Oh, I'm so glad. It's good to hear your voice. Yeah, it's nice to hear your voice. Woo! Is that I'm, right? Oh yeah, I'm back. You know, uh, yeah, I got a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm Shady's back. back. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mom, spaghetti. Uh huh. Uh huh. The spaghetti whole line. incident. <laughs> the last episode really sent me back to some old '80s rap. Mm. Oh, did you did you go through a little mode? Well, you know, we've talked about Falco, and I guess Falco was kind of slightly famous for the original German version of Der Commissar. Yeah, I think he was. But when Falco Three came out, you know, my my friend DJ made me a cassette, made me a little Maxell. It had Falco 3 on one side and whatever the Breakthrough Robert Palmer album was on the other. Oh, uh-huh. The one with Addicted to Love and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And boy, I what would, what would that be, 1984? I think, I think. And, oh, man, that was a soundtrack for me. Putting that in uh, putting that in the Jetta. Oh, no, I'm sorry, the uh, the Rabbit. <laughs> I didn't even have a car. Put it in other people's <laughs> car. Put it in DJ's LeBaron. Vienna oh, Calling. The LeBaron. That was a class. You know, that had Corinthian leather. Oh, is that the one? Yeah. No, well, I think the Chrysler Cordoba. Oh, the Cordoba had Corinthian leather. But, yeah. you know, the LeBaron was built on the same platform, maybe? Yeah. Yep, yep, I yep. don't know. I don't want to get too deep into the Chrysler uh, Marquet. You're going to get... Oh, is that from the French? Yeah. Not, uh, you're going to get letters. You're going to get letters yeah, from the Chrysler fans. Remember the K car? Remember how terrible that was? You know, I used to... Uh, the K car, obviously, for those of us who lived through that time, the K car was... Kind of a universal joke, an example of like the shitty car. I mean, it's like how long did they take on that name? The K car? You used to have like, cars like like you'd have a, a Charger or a Barracuda or a yeah. Comet. Mm-hmm. And now this is the uh, K car. It's fine. It's the K car. It's special K. But I had a friend whose father was a bush pilot. And <laughs> uh, their old car was like a 1968 Jeep pickup. Uh which was like probably the burliest. It was just one, one increment below being a military grade truck. You know, it was a, it was a, it was huge. 
it's not what we think of as as Jeep scale. It was like sort of Vietnam era Jeep, uh, half or like three quarter ton pickup, and uh, and he only referred to it. He he never pronounced the J. It was always the Eep, Eep, Eep. But hmm. his father at one point decided to get a new car and he bought a K car, a K car wagon. Oh dear. And oh, it was a laughing stock. Ha ha ha. The K car wagon. Lol. Oh no, this is awful. But did it have panels? And it didn't have panels. It was even it was even lower grade than that, and it had a manual transmission. <laughs> which I I I challenge you to find a K car. Well, first of all, I challenge you to find a K car that still survives. Mm-hmm. But find one with a manual transmission. Even at the time, it was like. You'd get in the car and you'd go, what the hell is that? What is this? By, by that time, I mean, I feel like the only reason to buy a manual at that point was to like save a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Yeah. This guy, as he was going down the, as he was going down the, the sheet, he was just not ticking any box. No, right? I don't like, want the undercoating. No, I don't want the, I don't want the cloth, uh, uh, you know, the, the cloth on the inside. I don't want a cup. I don't want a tachometer. I don't want a clock. <laughs> they put that on at the factory. I'll have to talk to my manager. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, that true coat. True coat, right? Um, but uh, but then you get in the thing, and and it was like this totally windy, like zippy, crazy little. I mean, it felt like you were driving a shoebox, but but the the manual transmission just brought it alive, and all of a sudden. You know, he was beating like Scirocco's off the line in this K car, and I mean, he drove the, the the crap out of it. But but it it was like at GTI level of acceleration in in 1984. Wow! And, and I had to say, you know what, K car respect. I'm, I can't I, I I can't say shit about K cars anymore, and I and I don't even know what where do you direct your ire at that point? Yeah. The pacer? That's not even a co- contemporary thing anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I'm looking at this now, and I mean, at the time, it struck struck me as very much an American car, but looking at it now, I, I mean, I'm not a car guy, but it, it looks a lot like a cheap Toyota. Yeah, it's it looks a, like a Corolla or something. Yeah, uh, it was it was their it was their import killer. Remember how every every third car was like, oh, this this one's the import killer. Oh, uh, for like, all those years, people buying these crappy Japanese cars, you really want this old world American craftsmanship. That's right. This mm-hmm. one, this is the one, you know, it gets, gets good gas mileage, this one, and, uh, and it's going to kill all those Japanese cars that are pouring into our shores. Didn't, didn't kill them. Didn't uh, kill them. I remember always thinking, cause, cause we were cheap in these matters. So we would get, you know, whatever the Delco am fm radio with the buttons on it uh-huh. we never had anything too tricked out but i remember thinking that the height of cool was like having a cassette player in your car oh um, yeah you know you, you, sure. you could put it in you could put it like you often it would go in like sideways mm-hmm. remember that of course when i got my vw bus one of the first things i did was i went to the uh the audio place and had to put a, a little sony sony stereo in it yeah because you wanted to live but of course, it was a VW, so the windows leaked, and then the speakers got all crackly. Did the engine ever catch on fire? That's kind of a that's kind of a signature signature mode. No, I told you, I told you, I didn't change the oil enough, and it seized up. Yeah. Oh, tragedy. I'm reading here the Chrysler K uh, car platform. They made them in all wheel drive, which I I have no way. So look, looking down here at the possible options, 
you could get a 3.8 liter V8. Oh no, I'm sorry, V6. Still, it's a big motor. You could get you could get four wheel drive. There's even a four door limousine. Uh, oh right, look at that. I, I there was a convertible. Like I I don't know where. Ooh, look I didn't at see the, any the two, of these. Two point two liter to, turbo four. A turbo four. They they put a Mitsubishi motor in it at one point. Come on, this was a hell of a car. Now that I'm seeing it, I just think of K cars as being. I mean, you know, they were even then kind of famously generic, but also it was always the driver's ed car. Oh, right. So right. Well, your, your and, memories are of being like stuck in a car. Of course, it had no air conditioning because they wouldn't pay for that. And you're stuck in there with a bunch of teenagers waiting to drive. You know, I worked at the, uh, I worked as a canvasser uh, on, on uh, the, the, uh, for the public interest research group or PERG. Are you kidding? No. That was almost my first grown-up job working in Boston. Yeah, I was. Uh, I worked in Washington D.C. for it, the, what do they call it? For, w W Perg. What do they call it? It was U.S. Perg. U.S. Perg. Hmm. And uh, then it was sort of the era of the the campaign to pass the Clean Air Act hmm. and support the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act. We were working on a lot of acts. Sure, just like the we, Apostle Paul. <laughs> we had a lot of acts to grind. <laughs> And and so I moved over to the National Environmental Law Center, still working kind of as a, at that point, a canvas manager where I was, I was wrangling canvassers. Uh, That was the, that was the opportunity that I had to chauffeur uh, Ralph Nader around one afternoon. That's right. We should remind listeners that you had a Ralph, Ralph Nader period. Yeah. And that, uh, during those days, we were driving K cars. Right, like in the morning, we would have a big meeting. There'd be uh, eighty kids all in the, you know, we'd get it pumped up. Everybody had their clipboard. It was like, all right, let's go out there and fight for the environment and get the woo, the water and the air and the eagles and America go. One time, uh, the uh, the Kennedy, the Kennedy that had red, kind of red curly hair. Hmm. He didn't. He didn't look like a Kennedy in the same way that Sonny didn't look like a Corleone. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this guy's not really even Italian. Hmm. How did he get the? How? What is he doing here? He's got the undershirt, but the, the hair doesn't match. <laughs> yeah, the hair doesn't match, and that there's the there's the one Kennedy that's like this. It was the it was the son of Robert, maybe. And the Kennedys a, were not above putting somebody in an attic. No, no, no. That's right. But this, he was a charismatic guy. He was a congressman, right? What, which one was he? George Kennedy? No, he was a different guy. <laughs> I think he was uh, the Blue Knight. Fred Kennedy. Hey, no man can eat 50 eggs. <laughs> uh, uh, but he, this Kennedy came one morning. <laughs> George would be so great. <laughs> if it turned out all along, George Kennedy was like part of like a whole Hyannisport uh-huh. crowd. Yeah, the whole time. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, let's see. Uh, what was his name? This is going to drive me crazy. Uh, and I'm, I'm, is he, is he, he's an environmental Kennedy? He was a, uh, yes, he was an environmental Kennedy. He was a up and coming Kennedy. He was a young Kennedy. Uh, Jesus. Um, I'm getting getting there. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm on the Kennedy family tree. Who would he be a sibling of? Let's see here. Uh, was see. it was it Joe Kennedy? Young Joe Kennedy? Joe oh, Kennedy? No, I think young Joe was the one who died in that horrible accident. 
Well, young Joe had red hair. No, he's... Joe, John, Rose, Kathleen, Eunice, Patricia, Bobby, Jean, and Ed, otherwise known as Ted. No. Ethel Skakel. Yeah, no, it wasn't Ethel. Uh, anyway, William, William Cavendish, Marquess of Hardington. Maybe, maybe his. Uh, maybe he. No, was, he married. He married Kathleen. Yeah, it could have been. Could have been Lee Schreiber. I know. I always get them all mixed up. <laughs> Lee Schreiber uh, and Sergeant Schreiber. Yeah. It's a common mistake. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he came by one. Isn't time that a to cool name? Up. Wouldn't you love to be named Sergeant Schreiber? Sergeant Schreiber. Well, that's the thing about wasps, right? They have the craziest names. People with the first name McGeorge. What, how do you McGeorge get Bundy? What a terrific name! How do you get the name McGeorge? These all they all have terrific names. McGeorge, McGeorge, come in now. Oh. Okay, here we go. We got sons of we got sons of Ted. No, you got, he's not a son of Ted. Not a son of Ted. Okay, I don't think so. Uh, you got uh, Robert Shriver, uh, William Kennedy Smith. No, no, he was a bad guy, William Kennedy Smith. He was a he was a date raper. Oh, was he the George Magazine guy? No. Which one was that? George Magazine was was uh, John F. K. Jr. Oh, right. John John. John John. <gasps> right. No, let's see here. Yeah, he was he was tall, he was charismatic. Just to be clear, I'm fine taking literally an hour and a half to do this. <laughs> I, uh, I'm just really enjoying the Kennedy family tree right now. I feel like he was, you know, he came in, he had he had the Kennedy smile, but he looked a little bit like Sonny Corleone. Uh it was 1990. Okay, he was okay. in office. He was in office at the time. He was, um, he, you know, I'm, I'm seeing now how many redheaded Kennedys there are. If you want to, if you want to really talk about redheaded Kennedys. Yeah, no, I do. I do. Um, anyway, he came by. So we were driving K cars a lot at that time. And I came, that was, this is after the Alaska K car experience. William Kennedy Smith? No, no, no. We talked about William Kennedy Smith already. That's not oh. him. Oh, sorry. I was I was confusing him with uh, Patrick Patrick Joseph Kennedy? Patrick Joseph oh, Ken, Patrick wait, Joseph Kennedy. Let's talk about Patrick. I think it was Pat Kennedy. Patrick. Oh, is he? His eyes. Kennedy. He's kind of like. Uh, uh, yeah, that, I bet that's him. Uh. Ooh, no. No. Nope. That's not. No. He, damn he, it, he's younger than I am. He looks. Uh. He looks. He looks like a Kennedy. A little fleshier than a typical Kennedy. Looks like somebody who works for a Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, but then when he when he starts uh, when he starts pounding on the table, you're like, ah, oh, there it is. Uh huh. There's the Kennedy in him. Yeah. You know, I, the Kennedys have played an a, an outsized role probably in all of our lives, but in my family's life, I think the Kennedys were always a. What were they? They were always a a, a shadow that came across the land. Mm-hmm. I, you know, know, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. A lot. I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, there's all you, we, you know, you, you grow up with friends, your Catholic friends, I probably have like pictures of Kennedy and the Pope in the house, right? That, mm-hmm. That's a thing. That was actually a thing. And there's that whole sense of like the Camelot thing. There's the sense of like what was lost with that. But there's also that sense of like, why can't our family be like this? Right. We're so close and yet so far. They're just, they're just Americans, just like us. Mm-hmm. They didn't, you know, they're not royalty. How did they come to be royalty? You got to really be willing to rig an election. You got to pay off some Southern sheriffs. That, that helps a lot. Well, and you got to, yeah, yeah, you have to, you know what it is? There's so much in life that is the product of just ambition, which is a thing that you either have a lot of, a medium amount of, or none. Also what it takes to scotch your ambition. 
you can be somebody who has a lot of ambition, but if it gets scotched easily, then, then it, it, it kind of dies. Like, like, like a campfire. I like that scotch your ambition. Scotching the ambition. I, I, I think about ambition all the time. I think about my own ambition. I think about other people's ambition. You know, you read, the, you open those magazines and it's like 100 young people under 100. Oh, those are really getting under my skin, John. <laughs> and you go, all right, let's see what's going on here. And it's like, well, 80 of these had rich parents. But uh, some of these people really did say never say die. Yep. And you go. They had nobody even really encouraging them. No, and they just, still worked really hard. They did the stuff that they needed to do. They eventually got recognized, but it didn't even have a big impact. They're just like, oh, whatever. It's another thing. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. They were just go, go, go. Let's, let's, you know, deep, deep, deep. And uh, I admire it. And I feel like it's, uh, I feel like it's another, it's another trait, like being able to throw a javelin. Hmm. And we, we all know not to. We watch the person throw the javelin on the Olympics, and you, and you say, <clears throat> "Wow, that's great." I, but very few people say, I wish I could do that. And almost no one measures their, measures the, their selves, themselves or their performance against the Olympic javelin thrower. It's like, oh, you're right. I'm, I'm not a javelin thrower. I work in an office. Like, right. But to have a corresponding, like a, a trait that's, that's maybe just as, as uh, unusual or just as much a kind of, not a product of environment, not a question of how you were raised or educated, but just something that you came onto this planet pre-equipped with to sit in your basement laboratory and work on a thing until you have devised a, something as universally life-changing as the Segway or, you know, like, like somebody who just has a single-minded dedication to either science or, or business or whatever. But we, we, we all kind of measure ourselves against those people. Right. And, you know, and search our history and search ourselves like, why did I not, why am I not capable of this level of achievement? But I really do, I really do suspect that it's, that it's, a, that it's a trait kind of like, almost like the color of your eyes. I don't know. But you know, like, like not to not to dive too deeply into this, but like you were in San Francisco at the at the, you know, through the whole boom, you knew all those guys. They respected you and loved you, and you know, you were like, you were uh, like a, a a person, a known person in that time. But you didn't, and it's not like you weren't. It's not like you were any less brilliant. Um, but you didn't. You didn't decide to make an app counting. Oh, the num- right, right. The I, didn't, I didn't achieve. I didn't achieve. Well, or just like you didn't. You didn't super achieve. There are so many. So many of those people that were just kind of wandering around the same chat rooms that you were, who were like, you know what? Yeah. What, what we need right now is an app that, or you know, or invented the app, or invented the word blog, or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, the other thing about, I like your javelin example, because I think that's somewhat indicative of why this becomes complicated. Like, you've met, you've had good hamburgers and bad hamburgers in your life, and in a given month, you've probably had a handful of hamburgers. You go, this one's really good, this one's not. The problem is, you're only probably aware of, like, one javelin person, and that's somebody who's in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So you might look at javelin and go, like, hey, that's a thing I could do. Or, like, Fonzie with uh, snatching the coins off his arm. 
you know? Uh-huh. See, I, I, I disagree somewhat in that I would often see an obscure talent on TV and then think this is going to be my ticket. And for a while, I thought it was snatching coins off my arm. <laughs> really? I was did a latchkey you, did child. You try, did you try that for a long time? Got, my, got some rolls of pennies. Yeah. I, I unrolled them. Uh-huh. And then I would see how many I could do. And how, what's your, what, was your top, uh, what was your top run? I don't remember. I just remember <laughs> pennies scattering all over the <laughs> living room. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, now, I was, and now I'm also just perplexed by the idea that somebody wrote an episode of Happy Days that was mostly about snatching coins off your elbow. Well, I mean, do you remember was, that? Was this the Jump the Shark era? This was there was I, I you know this might be a fever dream, John. I'm pretty sure there was an episode of Happy Days, and I don't even think it was like an '80s Happy Days. I think it was still while Fonzie was wearing a white shirt. I could be wrong, but there was because I I was in Ohio. I do remember this, and there was an episode that involved. The ability to stack a bunch of coins. So basically, imagine that you're bending your arm so that your palm is almost on your shoulder facing up. Your forearm is parallel with the ground. You stack coins just above where your elbow would be. And then you go snap. And you see how many coins you can grab off of your elbow using your hand. Oh, oh yeah. I was, and I then was all Fonzie over got this. involved in a competition about this. Is what I remember. So somebody wrote that. Somebody, somebody was spitballing that. And this could be cocaine. This could very easily be cocaine. Uh, it seems to me that this was this was one of those things where you're sitting around. You're like, oh, we got to come up with an episode. We got to come up with another thing. And it's like, what can you what can you do, Henry Winkler? And he's like, well, I mean, I can stick a cigarette up my nose. They're like, eh, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, have you ever seen this? And he like snapped the you know did this did the coins and they were like, that's it. You know, okay, they- I, found, I found a clip on YouTube. It's back. They're still at Arnold's. Uh, Fonzie is in the white T-shirt. He has not moved to the black T-shirt, the slimming black T-shirt. So he's still in the white T-shirt. And it looks like... Oh, and he, look at that. Here's a video of Henry Winkler doing the trick today. Look at that. He can still do it. I guess so. He's a, he seems like a, like a very uh, gifted guy. Uh, now, uh, for those of you at home who were shouting at me about the uh, Kennedys... It was Joe Kennedy 2. Oh, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was the oldest son of Robert F. Kennedy. So RFK's oldest boy, born in 52, which means, you know, he was eight years old when his uncle was elected president. He was there for the whole show. Okay, wait, wait. Give me that name again. Joe P. Kennedy 2. Joe P. Uh, Joe P. Kennedy too. Okay. Eldest grandson of Joe P. Kennedy Sr. Oh, uh, I, you know, I met the man. He was a uh, he was he was wonderful, uh, but uh, and he was a he was in the House of Representatives. Uh, this is until is this 1999. Patrick yeah. Joseph Kennedy too. No, Joseph P. Oh, Kennedy. for the love of Christ, they all have the same name. I know, Joseph. And then there's Kennedy P. Kennedy, too. There's <laughs> Kennedy P. Kennedy, the Kennedy Deep. There's P.P. There's, there's Kennedy. P.P. Kennedy. I was just uh, reading, about, reading about Rosemary's lobotomy. You know, Joe asked for that. Joe asked that uh, oh, Rosemary be lobotomized in 1941. He regretted, he regretted it the rest of his life. He did. Yeah. Is that, was that a fact? Yep. <gasps> uh, you know, uh, uh, Hodgman met uh Kick Kennedy. Oh, Kick Kennedy, Kennedy, the Joe second. Kick, Kick Kennedy. He was at the uh, he was at the uh, Chateau Marmont, and he was talking to somebody. And he was like, "Wow, I met this person today, and and she, she was so dynamic and so like captivating." And well, her name, she was so cute. Her name was Kick. Who was? Uh, oh, this is Kathleen yeah. Cavendish, otherwise known as Kick. Is there, is there a younger Kick? Well, there, so yeah, there's a contemporary Kick. 
Oh my goodness. There's a there's a millennial kick. Oh yeah, she's got the job. Look at her. Yep. And, she could be on a television program, John. He, ta- he talked to her for a while, uh, not realizing that she was a Kennedy, and came away from the experience thinking, like, wow, what a dynamic person. And then later on, somebody was like, oh, you mean Kick Kennedy? And he was like, yeah, right, right, right. Because, you know, he's a Bostonian, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Kennedys don't, uh, I mean, you know. And a it's liberal. Not, it's, not a, it's not a real college town. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Joe Kennedy. I didn't mean to derail, though, what we were talking about. Uh, which was, oh right, the Kennedys. Well, no, I, I didn't like like all, it at all like all world records. <laughs> apparently, right. the the world record is called coin snatching, and uh, like all world records, it's come a long way. Uh, back in 1973, and all of these all of these are apparently held by people in Great Britain. So mm-hmm. maybe there's something about the coins there. Whoa. In 1973, the record was 39 coins. Right by 1985, you get up to 70 coins. A man called Dean Gould, as of April 1993, and I don't know how long ago this page was updated, he's caught 328 coins, and there's an amazing photo of him snatching coin. Uh, This is incredible. But then underneath it, it says the record for a perfect catch with no drops (gasps) is 100 coins. Also by uh, Dean Gould. Okay. What does that mean? What does that mean, no drops? Oh, uh, I see. Uh, the idea is, oh, you just you spray and pray, right? You just you do as many as you can. You you catch what you can. That's that so, seems pretty lame. Well, so he puts five. So it explodes. Two hundred and ninety coins fly everywhere, and he catches a hundred. Boy, right. talk about venture capital, am I right? But the, whoa, <laughs> but but I, I, this is very impressive. Like three hundred and twenty-eight coins. How many? This is this begs the question: How many coins can someone stack on their arm? That's a di- that's a whole different question. I'm very <laughs> interested. I don't think I could even afford to do this stunt. I don't think I have the cash reserve to be able to even attempt <laughs> that, let alone the arm strength. I just wa- yeah, I want to see. I want to see like basically the world record for the number of coins a person can stack on their body at any time and still be standing on their feet. Mm. Right? I don't want you laying on the ground. How many coins you can stack? I want you to be standing on your feet. With your arms spread wide, presumably. Yes. yes. And then how many coins can you stack on this person? <clears throat> right? Just, this just for like- what it's worth, I, I get the feeling from looking at Google Images, Dean Gould of, of the United Kingdom, he's moved on from coins. Now he's all about catching bar coasters. Well, so, yeah, right there. They have a little bit more hang time. I guess so. I, I, what I, what's crazy for me here is that this world records for coin snatching has no, there are no hyperlinks. You can't meet Andrew Gleed. You can't talk about, you can't go to see Chris Redford or mm-hmm. like, and you know, Andrew Gleed stayed in the running all the way through the 90s. I wonder if he got sick or something. Andrew Gleed was right in the running up until the early 90s. He started in 78. And it by, looks like he and Dean Gould were going head to head starting yeah. in the mid 80s when the first big coin jump happened. That's right. Oh, you like 132? How do you like 140? And oh, then, really? Let me try 150. See how that goes. Yeah. Gleed is like 151. And then mm-hmm. Gould is like, boom, 186 in yep. your face. And Dean, Andrew Gleed says, you know what? This is far from done. Let's try 217. 217. Gleed was the first one to go above 200. And then there was a prophecy. One day there would be one who would do 248. Yeah. Stuart that, May. Stuart May. Who, he just, he's just some, some, some prodigy, some kid that comes in off the street and then uh, probably suffered an aneurysm or, or ended, up, ended up as a chess Choked person. on a Scottish and, egg. Yeah. <laughs> and then Gould comes back. 254. And Boom. then 328. Suck it. 
Oh my gosh. You know, Stuart May, I bet being Stuart May is a little bit like being a slightly well-known podcaster where first of all, nobody knows who you are. And then second, you have to explain why someone would know who you are. And that makes it horribly awkward. Yeah, right. So you did what now? Well, here's the thing. It was back in March of 1991. Let me explain. It was in March. I was around the 20th of March, 1991. I put 248 coins on my arm and I caught them. Okay. And Stuart May, that's your name? Oh, Stuart May. I, the, <coughs> I met Ben Gibbard once. <laughs> I, uh, I was reading some article where it talked in, in, invariably you end up talking to the, I guess, the same 100 people. But it was, uh, they were talking to uh, Teller, right? Um, yeah, of, of Penn Ant. Of Penn Ant. And Teller, Teller, to me, has always been the interesting one or the one that I've wanted to know more about, probably because he didn't talk and that makes you want to know more. But he was saying kind of this, well, he had an origin story like, like so many successful people where he was like, I was eight years old and, and the, they, they had an offer for a magic kit on the Howdy Doody show. And I, I sent away for it with three box tops and a, you know, and half a pickle. And they sent me the magic kit and it came and it was like totally shoddy and garbage. It was like, it was like the sea monkeys except made of cardboard. Oh, right. Sure. But it did a trick and I figured out the trick. And on Christmas morning, I showed all my relatives the trick and they all politely applauded. And that hooked me on magic forever. Mm. And, you know, I read those stories and I'm like, well, yeah, I, I did the same thing. I got the magic kit from the Howdy Doody show, and I learned the one trick. Uh, and uh, it <laughs> made and, me want to become a consumer advocate. <laughs> yeah, I got <laughs> you want to become exactly. the, Ralph, the Ralph Nader of magic. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is horseshit. You know, I did the I did the trick. the 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 people in the family clapped, and it gave me no feeling at all. Like it didn't it didn't fill up the void inside me. It just you know the thing fell apart in my hands, and I was like, maybe I'll be a lawyer. You mm. know, I didn't. I didn't have that moment and multiple times over the course of my life, right? A thousand times I've held some Excalibur in my hands and tried to pull it from the stone and half the time did pull it from the stone and then was like, yeah, that was pretty good and put the, put it back in the stone for the next guy. Yeah, sure. That's a polite thing to do. It's like putting the seat down. Yeah. What do you do? You take this Excalibur and you think it's yours? You don't just leave it by the stone. Well, with, you know, what do you, you I feel like, I feel like that's a little rude. It would be like walking up to a water fountain, taking a drink, and then tearing it off the wall. <laughs> sure. That Excalibur was like, I'm sure that people... Used- I, I assumed this was for me. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sure I people, take every, every flag I see. People in the uh, neighborhood were using that as a, as, a, as a way of navigating around. Like, oh, you go up to the sword in the stone, you take the left, you know, and then all of a sudden <laughs> the sword is gone. It's like... Ah, uh, you see the stone with the kind of sword-shaped hole? You'll see it when you get there. <laughs> it's the ultimate example of imperialism. Yeah. You just assume that <laughs> if you find something and can take it, it should be yours. Sure. Not sure. only it, that, but the ability, the ability to steal something that used to be community property uh, now makes you the king. It makes you the king, right? You take yeah, I'm the king of, now. All of a sudden, boom, you're, the, you're Mr. <laughs> Big Wheel. And, that, and I'm sure that's what Teller did with the, with the fake magic uh, box and like everybody's pulling swords from stones all around us and walking out into the world like well now I'm the king because I mean what it mean what it meant of course was that Teller then pursued 17 years of single minded 
like learning card tricks and making people making uh, quarters appear in people's ears, right? Or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, and then he's a genius. And so so I'm wondering what it is inside me or you or most people, or or I guess it's a better asked, what is inside them where it really was a switch. And then they just knew what they wanted to do. I, I mean, I had that conversation with Paul F. Tompkins one time where I was like, yeah, you know, comedy seems like a doable thing. I, I like to make people laugh. Sure. And he My said, friends tell me I'm funny. Yeah. And he said, I have never wanted to do anything else. And I have done only this my entire adult life. From the time I was a young boy, I wanted to be a comedian. And I have pursued it single-mindedly my, my whole life. And yeah. in, in a way, he was saying, he was saying no, comedy is not a, not a fun thing that you can just do. And I was like, okay, that's received. But at the same yeah. time, he's absolutely right, right? I, I mean, I wanted to be a comedian when I was 10 years old, but I also wanted to be an astronaut and a sword juggler or whatever. You also, like, whatever it is that you do, and I'm trying to go too far into my other persona here, but part of it is also you got, there's got to be something about the business of what you do, not necessarily the, the economics and finance of it, but there's got to be something about the business of what you do that you find you are either really good at um, and or enjoy doing. Like, you know, like you arguing with the guy with the cigar and the roll of $100 bills about getting paid for a gig. Like, if you can't get with that as part of your job, then that's going to be a tough job for you, yeah. right? There's got to be, the thing is, it's one thing, that, like, we always notice this one thing about it. We go like, oh, yeah, you know, um, I like to ride around in cars. I'd probably be a great mechanic. It's like, well, not necessarily. I mean, do you like invoicing? Like, there's, there's a lot to it beyond just, you know, enjoying that field. And I think comedy is definitely like that. Well, my sister was walking around a party the other day as she sometimes does, mm -hmm. asking everybody the same question. What's it about, the, was it about joy, John? Yeah, uh, in a way, in a way. She was saying to everybody, what is the one thing that you unashamedly would say that you were good at? Like, not you, you don't qualify it. It doesn't have to be anything big or, or impressive, but what's the one thing that you will say, you know, without shame... I'm actually good at this, right? Like people say, are you good at ping pong? And you go, yeah, I'm, I'm all right at ping pong. And maybe you're killer at ping pong. Maybe you can't play at all. But most people are like, yeah, I mean, I can play. Yeah, I'm fine at ping pong. Yeah, I'm pretty good at pool, I guess, you know. But what's the one thing that you are just like, yeah, I'm good at that. I'm yeah. actually good at that. And she was going around and, and, uh, and getting like surprise answers like, I'm, I'm actually, you know, her answer was, I'm really good at snowboarding and skiing and everything else in my life, photography, you know, dancing, whatever I'm, you know, like, yeah, these are things that I'm pursuing. Photography is my passion, but I will walk into any room in the world, stand up at the lectern and say, I'm fucking great at skiing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and she's right. And, and so I'm <laughs> yeah. standing next to her and, and, you know, and there was a, 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 like a lot of different answers. A, a, a young lady I know well was like dancing. And I looked at her and I was like, dancing, you dance. And she was like, yeah, I'm a great dancer. That's the one thing that I would say. Huh. I'm like, I never even seen you dance. At which point my sister's boyfriend said, I've never even seen Susan ski, but uh. these are the things that they're like, this is the thing that I'm actually good at. And then, so they turned to me and they're like, what's the thing that you're actually good at? What is the one thing you would say? Hmm. And I was like, uh, uh huh. Uh, 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 ping pong? Yeah. Like I don't. 
I don't even I don't even know. Talk, talking extemporaneously is that a thing you can say? It's just, but it's also like I, I'm with you. It's also just not how I think. It's not how I think about myself and other people. I think it's a difference. And I'm not saying, I mean, first of all, I agree with you. Like, I would hate to be put on the spot like that. I would feel the need as a funny guy to come up with some kind of an answer like, I'm really good at doing the dishes at the last minute or something. But like, I, I honestly, I couldn't tell you. And that's actually not how I think about myself. It would be, I would have to make something up. Well, yeah. And, and I, that's how I felt too. Like, uh... I don't. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Extemporaneous speaking. Yeah. Uh, right. Like, um, uh, what is the thing where you walk into a room and you feel like uh, you're fine? I, I I can do that. Oh like, yeah. Like I, I, if if you if you handed me a microphone right now and told me to go up on the stage and keep everybody uh, keep everybody's attention distracted for forty five minutes while we while we conduct this bank robbery across the street. Oh, look at me. Like I would get up there with the microphone and be like, "Excuse me, everybody. Uh, <laughs> hi." So anyway, one time, you know, and I would, I could do that. What is that? Yeah, I, I mean, and the thing is, there are way funnier people than me. There are way more. There are way smarter people than me. Like I don't, I won't, I wouldn't even claim to get up there and actually be entertaining for that forty-five minutes. But I could do it without, without fear. Yes. So what, that, that, what that's definitely that's unusual. I feel the same way on that one. Yeah, yeah. definitely unusual. I think it's, we're both probably pretty fun in the room. We're super annoying on a podcast, but in the room, I think we're both pretty good with people. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. People right? would, pretty good. People would be surprised to hang out with us. I think. Yeah, you, you, we are much you, less insufferable than you would guess. I've seen this happen uh, at a, when a, when the Long Winters play in San Francisco. Merlin generally comes to the show, and then after the show, everybody's standing around. Right, there's a lot of people there. They're all. They're all happy to be there. It's a rock show. They've seen their they've seen their favorite band or a band that they like uh, that they don't get to see that often, and they're socializing with each other and stand around the merch table. And then you look across the room, and there's Merlin, and there are between six and ten people standing around Merlin, <laughs> just trying to get part of the, just trying to get into the act. Is that including security? Security is is watching, sir. Right? They're hanging sir. back. They're hanging back. But you know, you're you're holding court a little bit. I, I'll, I'll hold some court. You hold court. Well, I love to hold a little court, and it's very fun. People are people. It's it's social. It's like this is a yeah right. Okay, that's it. Holding court is that a thing? Okay, you know what? I'll do that. Oh yeah, sure. Holding court. Yeah, I was gonna say court. either. Uh, uh, having a near certainty that everybody in the room is very close to permanently hating you. I'm great at that. <laughs> and, I, and I'm also I'm also pretty good at being amusing in a certain context for up to 90 seconds. Yeah, that, right. seems, that seems a little too precious. You're supposed to say something like, I make great cookies. Yeah. This is like, I'm remembering a wonderful episode of the TV program, The Simpsons, where uh, Mrs. Hoover, Ms. Hoover thinks she has Lyme disease. And so Dustin Hoffman comes in. He's Mr. Bergstrom. Remember, he comes in and he's the nice teacher and he goes around and he asks all the kids like what they can do. It doesn't matter how stupid it is. Like if you can make a face like you knew the best person in the world at that and, and he makes all the kids feel good about themselves. I could use a Mr. Bergstrom today. Oh, me too. I woke up. I, I still have... I still John. That is the only episode of The Simpsons that still consistently makes me cry every single time I watch it. Because you remember how it ends? Well, it no. ends with Mr. Mr. Bergstrom leaving on the train and he gives Lisa a note. Remember that? And it says, I am Lisa Simpson. Or you are Lisa Simpson. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, I'll cut that out. I got the, I got the quote wrong, but it still makes me cry. 
Yeah. Are you crying now? You are Lisa Simpson. I'm crying inside. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. At, I'm really good at crying inside. I really want. I I want to just come up, come right out and say, the first time I saw The Simpsons, I was in Little Rock, Arkansas. And you'll notice that I pronounced it L-I-L, Lil Rock, Lil because Rock. that's how it's pronounced, Lil Rock, Arkansas. And I was like crashing on some guy's floor in Lil Rock. Mm. And he said, have you ever seen The Simpsons? And it was 1990, I think. And now, but it was already kind of a phenomenon, probably. Yeah, it was going on by this point. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, no, I guess I haven't. I mean, I've seen Life in Hell. Yeah. Uh, on the back page of many alternative newspapers, and I think it's he very was, funny. Was he, he was, he's from Portland, right? Or, or not yeah. Portland, but from Portland he, area. So he was probably a phenom in the PNW at that point, right? Yeah, he went to read, like, you know, he was, uh, his, his, he was one of the alternative comic strip writers. He was, he had the, one of the best strips in your local liberal throwaway paper, for sure. Yeah, he was I, like... I loved Life in Hell. I had a Life in Hell book before The Simpsons. I loved Life in Hell. How did you feel about Zippy the Pinhead? Um, I enjoyed Zippy the Pinhead pin for its Dada humor. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't always get Zippy, but I got, I liked the idea of Zippy. Yeah, right. Or, uh, Bizarro. Yeah, I liked all of those. Yeah, that was yeah. good stuff. A lot of good stuff out there. Bizarro, that, you cut those out and put them on the fridge. <laughs> sure, of course. Those were like, those are, those are what you call Way Homer. <laughs> those were, uh, those were like mini TED Talks, like, uh, like, it was the original bizarre was the original TED Talk. <laughs> it was the original Turns Out comic mm. strip. Right? But, uh, you know, life in hell with the enigmatic uh, one-eared rabbit and the two little guys in fezes that appeared to love each other and appeared to be gay. They, Ak they Akbar were, and Jeff. Yeah, those were all wonderful characters. Akbar and Jeff, brothers, lovers, or both? Mm, or both. <laughs> but so I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas, and this guy sits me down, I think probably puts a bong in my lap, and then puts in a VHS cassette and forces me to watch... Between 14 and 40 uh, VHS-recorded Simpsons episodes. Oh, I don't know if that's the best way to do it. All with Starting at number one Ooh. and all the way, you know, with the kind of VHS, like, skew problems along mm. the top of the screen. Yep, 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 yep. Until I felt like I was in Clockwork Orange. Just like <laughs> He got a Ludovico technique. <laughs> just like, no, not another one, not another one. He was like, no, 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 you got to watch the next one. It's amazing. And from uh, from that experience... Right, like I, I eventually left Little Rock in a daze, um, uh, maybe dragging the bong. I don't know. Uh, and from that point on, I w if I if I stumbled upon a Simpsons episode as I was flipping through the channels in a hotel, I would greedily watch it. Yes, I mean it's not like it turned me off the Simpsons, but also. I pursued no methodical watching of The Simpsons. Mm. So, so a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of people that presume that I have seen 1,000 Simpsonses like everyone else has, but I have not. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I, and I've seen, I've seen uh, because I went on the internet and watched um, the, uh, are they saying boo or boo urns? <laughs> I watched that like 40 times. Because I because I loved it, I thought it was wonderful. But anyway, so no, I don't remember the one, and I'm I'm always forced to oh, do that's that. Okay. That's okay. Because they're like, do you remember the one? And I'm like, I don't remember. The no, one. I I I hope that I'm not that guy. No, you're not. You're not. You're not. But like, I want, I I want to have watched. Oh, so so I did. I went on the internet and I said I want to watch all the Simpsonses at one point, and the internet said you cannot. They said you can buy a DVD. 
Oh, um, yeah, that was the way for a while, yeah. But but you tell me now, how would I go watch The Simpsonses? <clears throat> they're not on YouTube, are they? No, they're on the cable. You can see them on, uh, on I think, FXX. Oh, I see. So I would have to have cable TV. Yeah, it's something... <laughs> Yes, that is something you need a TV to know about. I see, I see, I see. No, you're no, you're okay. You're okay. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, part of this problem is also then people they're very, people get very like um, not snippy, but they're like, well, I've never seen Seinfeld, and you're like, yeah, well, I, okay, you know, I've never been to Paris. Well, who goes next? Wait, have you never been to Paris? Of course, I've never been to Paris. Oh, Merlin, we need to go to Paris. No, no, I've been I'm, to like four places. I've yeah, been. That, uh, I was out of the country a couple times. You know. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Between the time you were bonded mm-hmm. and the time you graduated from college, how many houses did you have? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. Well, okay, let me uh, for a minute set aside college because that was a black swan. Right, okay, let's, let's say the end of high school. Mostly probably four or five. Four or five. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, I mean it's, it's a long, sad story, but college, man, I... Pfft. I came. Right. To, I did an Excel spreadsheet one day of uh, of where I lived because that's the kind of thing I do. <laughs> remember, like my ephedrine spreadsheet. You remember yeah, that? Sure, sure. That I can tell you exactly. I can, I can tell you the trend on the cost of ephedrine. Yeah. Oh, you had you had uh, where to buy ephedrine down to like zip codes. Yeah, I was like that. Uh, was like a crazy this American life guy, like writing, putting his meat stickers in the uh, in the <laughs> notebook. Uh, today, the, the today on the porch, it was sixty two degrees, and the newspaper you, weighed eight ounces. You sent me a jar of ephedrine one time, and I fear that I lost it. Oh God, I would kill for that right now. Or I fear that it w- that it went into some kind of thing where it's like this is a bottle of undifferentiated pills that I'm not sure. Oh right, I did I should give you ephedrine. I've given you some strange, strange things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've given sure, you. I've given you cold medicine. I've given you ephedrine. I gave you uh, a bag and then a strap for a bag. Mm-hmm. I gave you another bag. I think I gave you another bag one time. You gave me a few bags. You I, gave, gave you, me, I gave your mom a men's wallet. You gave me gave her a wallet, which ended up being mine. Uh, which You've ended up being yours. A handful of space pens. Uh, one, it must be so strange to be my friend. One time you gave me a uh, like a, a little pouch for your cell phone that would strap onto the oh to a Timbuktu bag to a Timbuktu bag. That was a good that was a good pouch. Yeah, a little pouch that. And I think at the, I think actually when you gave me that, you said I might want this back, but for uh, now that's not. For, that no it was not a and i felt like you were i felt like you were saying it for some other reason you didn't actually want it back and in fact you didn't because i still have it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and every time i pull it out i'm like well here it is it's a pouch for a, for a cell phone from 2002 i'm not sure what to do with it but i can't throw it away because i got it from merlin yeah no this is this is we've talked about this before this is the good box problem yeah exactly right yeah. I, and i think like well i could put tic tacs in here yeah. I could put, what else could I put? A first aid kit? A tiny first aid? What about a sewing kit? You know what you could do? It would be, you know, you got your small bag. In your small bag, if you're like me, like I use those packing cubes. Like I don't have anything loose in my, in my suitcase. I'm not an animal. Oh, I got a great new suitcase, by the way. But anyway, uh, you know, I'm a bag man. And so, yeah, well, I, know. Yeah, uh, I, got, I know you are. You've always been my bag man. I got bags and bags. So, for example, I've got a, I got a Tom Bim backpack that I love. Tom and Bombadil it, backpack? Tom Bombadil <laughs> <laughs> that's a Lord of the Rings. Is that right, or is that a Hobbit? Uh, that's a Hobbit. Tom no, Bombadil. he's not a Hobbit. He's uh, he's like an eternal. He's probably an Oaken Shield. He's got an eternal life, and he's confusing enough that they, he's not he's not been included. Isn't in he a anymore. controversial character? Not to me. Okay, 
But I do believe he's been sort of he's been X'd out of the digital. Yeah, like the poltergeist in Harry Potter. There just wasn't room for him. There wasn't room. Okay. Not room for Tom Bombadil. He doesn't advance the narrative en- enough or at all. Yes. And I think I think maybe he reappears at one point, but not at, not enough to 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 turn the tide. Okay. <clears throat> so he's not a Boromir, right? You couldn't tell the story without a Boromir. Oh no! Or yeah, yeah. orcs. Orcs, yeah, <laughs> right. Remember the one where uh, where Lisa uh, catches four hundred coins off the off of her elbow. All right, she goes, hey, hey. She's about to comb her hair in the men's room mirror, and she goes, ah, perfect. Yeah, the one where Tom Selleck marries the uh, the, the 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 Kennedy. Oh, I remember that. That was Dynasty. Yeah, I remember that. Tom, but anyway, Tom, Tom Kennedy was was a game show host. Is that right? Tom Kennedy, I think, wasn't he, he in the Dirty Dozen? Dirty Dozen. I think that's Trini Lopez. You're thinking of Trini oh, Lopez. Right. I had his signature guitar for lemon, a while. Lemon tree smells so pretty. Yeah. David, I, like, David, I like Trini Lopez. David Grohl. Um, David Grohl. David he was, Grohl. He was in the Dirty Dozen. Jim Brown. Uh-huh. Jim Brown Jim Brown versus people. Board of Education. He killed all those people in Guyana, right? That's right. Jim yeah. Jones Brown. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Casper. You can learn more about Casper right now by visiting casper.com slash supertrain. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses that you can get for a fraction of the price you'll find in stores. Here's the thing. Casper Mattress provides resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort. Casper's mattress, it's one of a kind. It's a new kind of hybrid mattress that combines premium latex foam with memory foam. These two technologies come together for a terrific night's sleep. It has just the right sink and just the right bounce. It's an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Retail mattresses can often cost well over 1500 American dollars, but Casper mattresses are just so gosh danged affordable. Prices start at $500 for a twin-size mattress, $750 for a full-size, $850 for a queen-size, $950 for a king-size mattress, a mattress fit for a king. And you know what? Turns out all Casper mattresses are made in America. Let's talk turkey, gang. To understand how Casper is different, we have to start by looking at how this entire mattress racket has historically worked. It is a mess. It's a dumpster fire of retail hell. The mattress industry always forcing consumers into paying notoriously high prices and costly retail outlets. Not with Casper. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly onto you, the sleep desirous consumer. Casper understands that buying a mattress online can seem kind of weird, leave you wondering how it's even possible. Buying a Casper mattress is actually completely risk-free because here's the thing. Casper offers free delivery to your home and free returns within a 100-night period. Just try sleeping on it for 100 nights. If you don't like it, you call Casper. They take care of it. Done. Boom. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. It's literally that simple. Now, let's be honest. Lying on a bed for four minutes in a showroom has zero correlation to whether it's right for you. Is this how you want to spend one-third of your life? That's why Casper has turned this buying process into a risk-free proposition. Casper mattresses are shipped to you in a box. You carry them upstairs like a gentleman. And opening them, that's an awesome experience all on its own. It inhales, it goes, <gasps> not in a creepy way, but like in a, in a really nice, satisfying way. Your mattress breathes. It inhales. It's nice. It comes to life as you remove it from its bag. Not like a Korean water ghost. I just want to be super clear about this. Listen, I traveled recently. 
I had to stay in a hotel. I got on a bed that I thought was going to be nice. It was not nice. I woke up in pain. I felt like somebody had been hitting me in the pancreas for nine hours. Ah, I was so glad to get back home and get to my Casper. I've slept on one of these suckers for over a year, and I just love it. And I think you will, too. Please give it a try. And here's the thing. Listeners to Roderick on the Line can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash supertrain and using the very special offer code supertrain. I must tell you that terms and conditions apply, but uh, that's kind of how life works. There are terms, there are conditions, and they apply, but you got to try this thing. You got to go to casper.com slash supertrain. Our thanks to Casper for so many great nights sleep and for supporting Roderick on the line. <laughs> anyway, uh, the Trini, Trini Lopez model guitar was a great guitar. <clears throat> Is it little? Uh, no, it was big, and nobody wanted it because it was weird. And then Dave Grohl started playing them, and all of a sudden, you can't buy them for any amount. You're of money. kidding? No. Isn't that weird how that happens? Yeah, it was just like, don't, don't do that, Dave Grohl. Stop taking the cool things and making everybody. Oh, ah. is it kind of a, not, a little like an SG? Or no, it's an ES. Oh, it's I see. It looks a little bit like an SG. It's got double cutaways. Yeah. See, but but look at the cutaways. They're sharp. They're sharp. It looks like it looks like a Japanese guitar that wants to be either an ES, what is that, an ES3, so combined a, with a Rick. It looks like it's got a bit of Rick styling to it. It's a, yeah, it's, there's a lot going on in a Trini Lopez. Um, it's still too, a little too sharp for my liking. There were, a couple, there were a couple of different versions of it. There was one that was really sharp, and then there was one that was just a 335 body. Oh, this is weird. And it's got it had, that... It's got a weird, um, what do you call it? not the bridge, but the tailpiece. It's got a strange looking tailpiece, and it's got all the, it's got like a fender type head. So the headstock is like, yeah, from a Firebird, and it's got diamond shaped f holes. Anyway, nobody wanted them. You used to be able to buy these things. For this them. is like Homer's car. That's a reference from The Simpsons. Mm. It was they were like seven hundred bucks because they just they didn't look like a three thirty five. They just look weird, right? Uh, uh, by the uh, to our eyes at the time, they just looked strange. I never owned one because I thought they were weird. I was like, ah, I don't know. Shouldn't the F-holes look like Fs? Yeah. These aren't even F-holes. These, These are just diamond holes. They're diamond holes, and that's not what you get. And the, and the 335 with the weird headstock, like I saw, one time I saw a, a guy play a show. The, the, uh, the, the bass player of the Sound Gardens mm -hmm. uh, had a band called Hater. And Hater was an extremely good band. I highly recommend if you can find Hater's first album that you get it because it's awesome. Hater. But uh, he was the lead singer of Hater, and he had a... I saw him at play a show one time where he had a Telecaster with a Fender neck. I'm sorry, a Telecaster with a Gibson neck. What? A Telecaster with a Gibson neck. Now just picture it for a second. And it was so wrong looking that it wasn't cool, right? You want to think, oh, that's cool. Gibson neck <laughs> that sounds like telecaster. something your dad would, one, someone's dad would make for them. Well, yeah. So it's got that wide, it's got the wide fretboard. It's got the, the tuning pegs on either side right, big of fat the headstock. Big fat headstock. Uh-huh. Yeah, it does. It sounds like something that on Christmas morning you'd open up the wrapping. <laughs> you said like, you wanted a guitar. He got me a guitar. He got me a guitar. And then you open it up and it's a, it's a Telecaster with a Gibson neck. And it was just, I, through the entire show, I could not, I could not. I couldn't even get into the music because I was just looking at this guitar like, no, 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 no. The neck is too heavy for the body. No, the square doesn't work with the round. No, je, je, je accuse. Je refuse. Je refuse. So, 
you know. But now I look at that guitar and I'm like, oh God, why didn't I buy six of those? Yep. I could just saw one for five grand. Yeah. See. Yeah. You can ask anything for for stuff. <clears throat> That's true. Yeah. Asking five grand and getting five grand. Different story. Uh, we got a lot of a lot of threads here. Um, magic, uh, guitars. What were we talking? about? Oh yeah, yeah. Your uh, what's your special gift? Right. So we do. do, do have you thought more about? It? Obviously, you've thought more about it. Have you arrived at an answer? My special gift. I mean, this is so. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to be good at magic, right? Like so many of us who grew up in the seventies, it seemed like magic was everywhere. Yeah, and if you wanted to end up at somebody who wore a ruffled shirt and a big bow tie, and maybe was on late night television with Rich Little, uh-huh. uh, it, magic might be the way into that world, right? And I just wanted, you know, it seemed even now to be Ricky Jay and to be able to just go anywhere in the world with a deck of cards right? and amaze and delight people. Yeah. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? But it requires that you practice. And yeah, and that was, that's the problem with my special And gift. that's what he does. You see, I'm, if you're like me, see, I, I think Ricky Jay is kind of like the... He is to magic. Uh, I feel like him with magic, like I do about Krautrock, where sometimes I, I enjoy it, but I'm way more interested in, in learning about it. So, like, mm. I love learning about Ricky Jay. I'll watch every Ricky Jay documentary, and I love his performances too. But, like, the documentaries, he just spends hours a day shuffling cards. Yeah. That's what he does. That's his thing. All the, He has a mirror. Have you ever seen these? And he just sits there and he just does gorgeous things with cards all day long. It's what he does. Yeah. He's also really smart. Well, see, and that and the, 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 that's confusing to me, right? He's really smart, and he shuffles cards all day, right? It and, seems seems like a disconnect. And I guess for me, I nobody ever explained to me that being uh, that being kind of good at everything, as opposed to really good at one thing, that that was actually a goal to have. That that was something that you could shoot for, and it it turns out that my instinct is to be kind of good at everything. We've talked about this before. You go deep on nothing, go wide on. I everything. totally agree, but but that's not a thing that there's really that much use for. There's only a few people that are allowed to be public figures that are famous for that. You have yeah. your Georges Plimpton, yeah. Uh, you you have your your uh, your Gores Vidal, I guess. Well, well, and see, this is this is the thing. It's a very rich wasp. Thing to be that's true it's a it's a privileged thing yeah if you you know if you can just sit around and and uh and learn a little bit of everything isn't that nice for you but the rest of us have to get a job and you're always you're skating up against that word nobody likes dilettante uh dilettante or, right uh, a sealist right somebody who's uh who's pretty um maybe broad but pretty shallow and and that is a legitimate thing to be good at a polymath right? I mean, in a sense, an autodidact. There's almost, and I think you and I both are that. I think I might be good at words, and good at words. <laughs> but so, so I mean, one thing if if you say, okay, what are you good at? It's like, well, all right, on the on any topic, I can be conversant. You cannot really throw at you or me a thing that we wouldn't have something to say about it, even if, and, and it's not like we profess to know, No, but like you've heard something about everything. I've heard something about everything. If somebody says, oh, I am a, you know, I work with bats, I will say, oh, that's interesting. Have you ever heard of the bats that live under the bridge in Austin? Mm. And of course they have, and now we're talking about it. 
Right. And that is a whatever it is, right? It, but it's but it's a I mean, you could say it's a gift you're a gift gifted conversationalist, but that seems like something that a rich wife would you'd say about like the wife of a congressman, right? Oh, and, yes. You're uh, right. Right? And that is something that I maybe I would be good at. Uh, the uh, the wife of an ambassador. I would be a great wife of an ambassador. You would be such a great wife. You know, you can be very polite. You can you can definitely seem like a really good listener. Mm-hmm. And you know I which fork I am one. Sure. And you know which fork to use a lot of the time? Most of the time. You work from the outside in. But so I'm let's say let's say my uh my well, let's call her my wife. Let's say she is the ambassador to France. Mm. And I am her wife. Is she a little bit little kind of short kind of Jewish? Yeah, she might be a little zaftig, mm-hmm. but she's a great ambassador, and she's working all the time doing ambassadorial things. Yes. And I am hosting galas, sure, and you know, and I'm wearing uh, very becoming clothes. And everyone who comes in, I make them feel comfortable, and I, you know, and I direct them to uh, the, the the conversations that I feel like they would be interested in, and I laugh appreciatively at their stories, and I say, oh, you know. Uh, Oh, this is the Duke of uh, Ellington, mm. and uh, here's the, <laughs> you know, here's the Count of Basie, and aren't they, are, aren't they uh, spectacular? Let's talk about uh, pop music. Like I'd be, I'd be spectacular at that. But again, it's a, it's a job that doesn't, that's not really a job, right? We don't appreciate ambassadors' wives like we should, Mm-mm. and. And that's not a uh, that. There's no job description for that except maybe podcaster. But mm-hmm. that again, as you say, doesn't even seem like a job. Mm-mm. Not a real job. No, I I aspire. I used to, I used to think that I was really smart, mm. and in certain contexts, I think I could be. The truth is, I'm not very smart. I'm I'm fast. I'm not smart. I'm fast. Sometimes on a good day, I'm clever. The thing in the, over the years that I, I don't say I'm proud of, but something that I, I'll tell you what, an aspiration of which I am proud is that I do aspire to be increasingly curious. Uh And uh I think that's a good aspiration. Now it is merely an aspiration. I'm not as ceaselessly curious as I could be. Uh, My my, my friend uh, Gabe gave me a book about uh, Juggalos to read just for what it's worth. (laughs) The Juggalos. He heard us talking about the Juggalos, and he gave me a book about understanding Juggalos that I'm going to read. Do you understand them better? Mm-mm. I haven't even cracked it, but I'm going to. It's it's there. It's right by my keys. You know, I feel like I understand them a lot better from having met uh, George the Dragon or whoever whoever that was. Is that a pro, pro wrestler, John? Who is that? Uh, no. George, George I, the Dragon Steamboat? So I – didn't I tell you about this? I, uh, I was hosting a series of conversations up here at Bumbershoot mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago. And I invited the dragon, and I think he spells it D R A G A N, maybe, uh, who had who had directed his first film was a film about juggalos. He himself is a juggalo, and he wanted to dispel some of the misconceptions oh. uh, by doing a film about juggalos. So his name is the dragon. Hmm. I I think I don't remember exactly. And then I at, uh, on the other. Uh, side of the panel, I invited a uh, a brony who were uh, the bronies were really in the news at the time. Everybody mm-hmm. was talking about bronies. Yep. And uh, this man presented himself as the world's manliest brony. 
He was a um, Harley Davidson mechanic uh, somewhere in the Midwest and also a, an avid brony. And so we, Bumbershoot flew them both out to have this big discussion with me. And, uh, and it was a full house in an in a auditorium. And we started talking about juggalos and bronies. And both guys kind of gave their like, you know, the, the dragon was just exactly as you would imagine, juggalo. It was like, juggalos are killer and awesome and woo. And then the world's manliest brony was dead serious about bronyism and how it makes everything better in the world. And then it opened up to questions in the audience. And right away, I understood that there was tremendous hostility towards juggalos in the in the assembled crowd and oh. hostility towards juggalos, not just from young people, but especially from older members of the crowd who were well-informed liberal people. And so there were all these questions like, how do you, uh, how do you respond to this? And then extensive quoting of, uh, insane clown posse lyrics that were violent and misogynist. And the dragon, you know, kind of was like, yeah, well, that's a thing. And I mean, there's... Blah, 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 blah. And then after a while, it became kind of clear that he was under siege. And I was moderating. But, you know, to a certain extent, like people would stand up and say, I have a question for both guys. And it's like, okay, let's hear from you. And then they'd say, well, how does the juggalo reply to the following accusations? <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's have some <laughs> questions. Let's have, you know, everybody settle down. But then the dragon made this kind of eloquent within juggalo vernacular defense of juggalos by saying look there are all these mixed up kids in the world who yeah. live live in violent drug addicted circumstances and we attract them the insane clown posse attracts them by speaking to these matters mm -hmm. and by you know by presenting this kind of ugly reality which makes these damaged people feel like they're speaking the truth and then once they're in the juggalo family we domesticate them with our family mutually supportive love vibe that we have and in a way we are like we are defanging this entire generation of angry damaged like violent kids hmm. by you know, by offering them a safe place in the world, hmm. and a and a you know a pink cloud went across the audience, and everybody was like, "Huh," and you could see people kind of looking at the floor and nodding their heads and and wondering. Were, to were any of the black people nodding? Because uh, I think if you it was a, uh, it was a Seattle event, there were oh, only sure. a few black people. You change there. a couple of those nouns around, and you can get away with anything with that pitch. Well, yeah, but it, but in and that's the thing, right? Like everybody was nodding, not in agreement, but like, did a juggalo just score a point here? Right? No, like, I know. The bar's low. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. sure. Uh, ten, 10 points to juggalo. Yeah. Are we try? Are we now forced to confront the idea that that juggalo, that the, the, the gathering is some kind of some kind of peace situation and not just a, not just a thing where a guy will cut off his own lips for $14 just to show people that he can. Uh, I would ask for a little more than that. No, I mean, how are you going to drink your Fago? Well, I think you just you suck it through a straw. <laughs> you shotgun it. You take it in through your nose. I don't know. I'm not a juggalo. No. But in the end, in the end, I have to say that the dragon 
was uh, the more sympathetic of the two, not because uh, not because juggaloism is more attractive than bronyism, but just because there, but because of the degree of self seriousness that was on display. Okay, right? I mean, he's not he the juggalo was not claiming that juggaloism is going to sweep the nation and become the new way that we interact with one another. And yes. I think the, the brony really was pushing that angle a little bit more. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to revisit that, that whole panel. But you learned a lesson about love. I learned a lesson about it, by, about tolerance and acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. I mean, it's hard to be tolerant of, uh, of people that are, that are ugly. It's mm, harder. It's there's something I'm not a very logical thinker, but something in the little uh, logic closet of my mind rings a little bit when we try to find the way to show how one person in a group didn't get treated as well as we would like and therefore things. So yep. I'm, I mean, I feel like you could do that with practically any group because we're all sympathetic for people. We're especially sympathetic for young people. We, any decent, humane person is very sympathetic, but for any young person who feels like an outsider. But but also, I guess I feel like I'm a little... I want to be somewhat careful about organizations that find ways to explain their ethos by saying we help outsiders feel like they fit in. Yeah, but it's, I, uh, part of that I 100% buy. But again, all I'm saying is you just you change some of those around. And I'm not going to name any names here, but there's a whole lot of things that you could say, you know, well, it's, you know, it's not really about states, rights. It's about youth pride. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but there's, uh, the, you know, I, in traveling around America and in reading the news, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. over time you are forced to confront the reality that there are you know, there are a lot of situations where you can't even, you can't even fathom. You, you'll never be able to fathom. Did you read the thing the other day where, where a dad, a dad with seven kids came into the room playing with his gun uh, and like pretend pow, pow, pow oh, no. to his uh, seven kids and killed his four-year-old daughter? Uh, like bang, 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 pow, and shot her right in the head? And then took, like, wiped his hand in her blood, wiped the blood across the face of his five-year-old, slapped her in the face, and said, you did that. And then ran. And when the police arrived, uh, the initial story was that this five-year-old had killed her four-year-old sister, and that's the one that that uh, Good Morning America ran with. And so for a couple of days, the story was uh, this family tragedy until, until the guy, the dad, finally walked into a police station because they were searching all over for him. Why did he run? Right. And then, and initially denied it and blamed it on his own other daughter. And then the police were like, wait a minute, you seem a little bit not that cool. And eventually he confessed yeah, it's like in watching that the O.J. Simpson series that I've been kind of guiltily watching, I mean, there's, there's one piece of evidence that pops up in that evidence. It's one piece of testimony that's so interesting, which is that when they, and this, I'm not of opinion one way or another, but I think it's interesting. When they called O.J. Simpson to say that his ex-wife that he had very strong feelings about was dead, he didn't ask how she died. Yeah. And the thing is, in that case, 
you know, if your five-year-old had just shot your other kid, it seems like you would more than anything want to be there to like suss out what's going on. And it seems like, yeah. But, but, but what's interesting about that story to me is not the dad, right? Like, uh, whatever, fuck that guy. The, the, the terrible thing is that that five-year-old will one day be a 25-year-old and how we could ever know, how we could ever think about her challenges entering adult life. Oh, absolutely. You know, and you just go, ah, there is no social service agency. There is no church. There is There's no. There's not that many, um, not that many talk it out groups. No, who are her peers? Who's exactly? Who's right. who's she gonna? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, who is you know like a, apparently uh, Gary Ridgeway, uh, the Green, Green River Killer, the Green River Killer. Apparently, he has a child. Ugh. You know, apparently Bundy fathered a child with somebody. Like these are people whose life experience is not is not comparable. And, and so, and, and these are just like, uh, the ones that popped to mind, but all across America, there are, and around the world, there are people who have witnessed and been subjected to horrors that I just don't have any, that, that there's no place for them to go and feel like anybody is ever going to get them. And it's so different from, from the, our contemporary culture where everybody's a victim there are really people who are, who, I mean, what's, where, she's 25 years old. And a lot of the time, I mean, I dated a girl who had, ha, who had a, an awful, awful childhood. Yeah. Uh, and she's an amazing person and an amazing mother. Like she overcame. But, but, uh, but how do you, there's no institutional solution to that stuff. You can't say if we had more money, if the, if Congress put more money into, social services then then these people would be healed well yeah i mean that's that's the whole thing i mean like it's easy to say fuck that guy or whatever but like and you know that that probably could have gone better but like also now that guy you think he meant to do that like the initiating incident i'm I'm sorry to show empathy for somebody who's horrible but like imagine how that guy felt like i think about that all the time like what if you leave your kid in the car there's all these kinds of things where you're like you know what it's game over yeah, he accidentally shot his kid. The the most awful thing that could possibly happen to a person. And, and, then, his, and, then, he, and then he panicked. His fucked up panic reaction was to look around and say, uh, hey, here's a story that might work. But then, like, he actually punished, the, he actually slapped and hit the five-year-old, both to put blood on her <sighs> and also, like, in some way, to convince himself and the five-year-old that she was actually culpable. Like he's in partly convincing himself. Like you did this pow, pow. Right. I mean, broken guy, but also he just shot his own daughter. I'm not, and then imagine I'm not what, his, what his him. wife thinks, yeah. you know, imagine, know. What, imagine his wife comes home from work and she's probably supporting the family given the fact that he's there during the day shooting his kids. She comes home and, uh, you know, like, and this is the news. There yeah. are t- TV cameras out front. So compared to the worst thing that's ever happened to me, there's no comparison. Right. And I'm, you know, I'm not fit to judge. So the Juggalo guy is telling me this story, and I'm thinking about all these kids in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, whose, you know, whose parents are like feeding them pop rocks, and, uh, you know, and disciplining them with a tractor. 
And I just go, well, I don't know. I don't beats me. Beats me. I got nothing here. Yeah. You know, I got I got, I got disciplined by my mom going in her room and shutting the door. Stomping on your toys. <laughs> Stomping on my toys, which had a lasting effect. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Maybe it's why I, my house is full of toys now. Maybe oh, interesting. And how does it make you feel? Maybe hmm? it's why. Maybe it's why I collect unwrapped. Or I'm sorry. I, how, why I collect still in box Star Wars figures? Hmm. I don't really. Hmm. Can you tell me why the original Luke Skywalker Star Wars figure had such a weird lightsaber? The little yellow one? Well, you know, the, the one that where the lightsaber halfway up got smaller? Ugh, that was a and, terrible design decision. And every kid they all broke immediately, off. well, either broke off or bit off. There was nothing more satisfying than biting the tip My off o- of Oh, I know. It's, it was perfect for biting. My Obi-Wan is, is, has the, the end ripped, ripped off, but my Luke still has the full lightsaber today. No. Did you, I mean, survived from when you were a Original child? Original summer of 1977, sent from Kenner in the box. You get, you get pre-order it. You get Luke, um, R2-D2, uh, Princess Leia, and I want to say Chewbacca. I still, I still have, Luke still has his lightsaber today. Did you also, did you also get like a Pepsi glass that had Sylvester the cat on it? At Arby's? Sure. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not an animal. <laughs> but wait, you still have those things? No, no, no. You, 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 I wasn't going to interrupt you when you were at Hodgman's house, but no, that sent me right down memory lane because I, I gobbled those up. My favorite was Shazam. Uh, I had a Shazam one that I liked a lot, Captain Marvel. Um, I had, I think I had like Cool Cat. I didn't really know what Cool Cat was, but I had a Cool Cat glass. Wasn't he the Cheetos cat? Oh, I think that's Cheeto the cat you're thinking of. Oh, Cheeto the cat. Yeah, but I love those. Those were great glasses. They were really, and they were hardy. Those glasses, those glasses like, la- oh, I had an Aquaman that I loved. And those glasses lasted into the 90s. I was, I remember going up to college and my friends were still like, my friend Alan always got the Aquaman glass. Oh, he he would he would take it down from your shelf. Did you ever have your own glasses and your own uh, things at places like at my grandparents? I always had a certain cup that I was would use. Well, I never went to very many other people's houses uh, oh. where where they would have things. Like I had no grandparents. Oh no, somebody should invite you to a conference. <laughs> you, you, you know, <laughs> she smashed my toys in the closet. You know, I last two years ago was it two years ago? I went to the conference on world affairs, <laughs> right? And I felt like a really big wheel. Uh, this is two years ago. Uh, I felt so good. I was there at the conference on world affairs there with generals and scientists and, uh, and, and old people. Basically, everybody there was old except me. And I was like, this is it. Now I'm going to be conference on world affairs guy. I'm going to go every year. Yep. When I die, they're going to say he went to 40 conferences on world affairs and, uh, and was you know, a, a treasured member of the community. Mm-hmm. And then they did not invite me back. Yeah. And sometime between last year when they didn't invite me back and now they realized that uh that the internet and email was not going to go away. It was here to stay. And so they compiled a list of conference on world affairs t- attendees and started sending them uh conference <gasps> on world affairs spam emails. They put all the time. they put you on the list. And they put me on the list. Oh, the and, temerity. And so the conference <sighs> on world affairs just happened this past week. And every day there was a like, today in Conference on World Affairs news, and thanks so much, everyone, and you're the best, and Yay. here's where you can donate, and Yay. all this stuff. And I'm just like, 
fuck you a thousand times. Mm. Like, I am not a enthusiastic Conference on World Affairs alum. Mm-hmm. I am a bitterly disappointed. I think you're disgruntled, John. I'm disgruntled. You know, of all the things, of all the places that I felt like I belonged, finally, someone yeah. had recognized that I belonged at a conference on world affairs. Maybe it, you were too real for them. Did you ever uh, thought of that? I feel like what they thought, mm-hmm. what they thought was that I was going to sing for my supper. I was going to come, and the generals and, the, and the, uh, the captains of industry and the titans were going to, at the end of the day, relax to me shucking and jiving with my guitar with a bunch of other uh, like uh, guitar players, and that that was where I belonged. Is this where you? Is this where you played with the band? Yeah, I played with the <laughs> band, and I and I and I turned my the volume on my guitar all the way down because I had no idea what they were doing. Right, I love that story because they were jazzing, and I did right. not jazz, and so <laughs> I don't know how to diminish anything. But I, un- uh, I uh, the only thing I know how to diminish is other people at the cocktail party. 